When you love farming, you want to talk about it all the time. Real people, real farms, grassroots. This is the Ontario AgCast. Welcome to the Ontario AgCast. The Ontario AgCast is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. I'm your host, Wendell Shum, and my guest today is Omid McDonald. Omid is the founder and CEO of Dairy Distillery in Almont, Ontario. Omid, welcome to the show. Great to be here. As I was explaining to you, I have been told that I, I have an awkward sense of humor, and when I read your name, my first thought was, Omid McDonald has a distillery. <laughs> yes, I've had that joke since I was uh, in grade two, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I I get the obvious jokes. I never I never come up with anything really original. But <laughs> okay, so you're not from a farm background, Omid? No, I'm uh, I'm an engineer uh, by uh, by training. I've done mostly software startups. Been working primarily with uh, for with computers for the last twenty years. Right. So you would be what's called a serial entrepreneur. Uh, yeah, I guess that's uh, the term for it. People have called me the eclectic entrepreneur because I've done startups <laughs> in very different spaces, medical, telecom, which was with DJs in the last one, and uh, now working with uh, with farmers and making uh, making vodka. Yeah, and you've taken sort of two of my favorite things. Um, you've taken dairy and, and alcohol and combined them, so that's awesome. But let's back up a little bit. Sort of where are you located? Where did you grow up? That kind of stuff. I grew up in uh, in Ottawa, so not far from where uh, the distillery is in uh, in Belmont. Went to uh, the university here in, uh, in at Ottawa U. Been lucky to that my startups have taken me to some fun places. Uh, ended up in Paris, France for four years. Spent uh, two years in Brooklyn, New York, uh, but primarily have lived uh, lived here in the Ottawa Valley. You said you're an engineer. I assume that means like you're a computer engineer. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's a software engineer. Uh, it's uh, what I graduated. Okay, and I have done myself some early stage tech investing things. Mostly, I chalk them up as good learning experiences as opposed to good investment opportunities, but (laughs) I have a little idea of what goes on in that space. And so I live very close to the University of Waterloo. Right. I'm going to take a stab at what your uh, university experience was like. I imagine you you were really bright and smart and had some great ideas, and then you had a whole bunch of people started throwing money at you when you graduated to try and get a piece of that. Am I close? Um, well, I, not not the fooling part, but uh, <laughs> I actually left. Uh, uh, I started my uh, degree and I was two years into it, and I had my uh, first idea for a, uh, a startup. It was a medical startup at the time, so I started actually developing the software at the, uh, at the Ottawa Hospital, and some doctors took a, uh, a chance on me and put some money into what I was doing. And the company uh, went went from there. So I wouldn't wouldn't say threw uh, money at me, but definitely people uh, uh, took a chance. Uh, ironically, I actually went back to finish my degree almost twenty five years later uh, after I had kids. I just didn't want to have my daughter say, uh, "Well, when I asked her to go to, if I pushed her to go to school, come back at me and say, well, you never went.'" So actually, uh, twenty five years later finished off my degree. So uh, a bit of a, a strange uh, school experience for that one. <laughs> right, because there's nobody in the computer business that has ever been successful that didn't finish university, right? Well, I'm not saying so. Maybe <laughs> I've, just, uh, I've, I've jinxed myself at this point by actually getting a degree. 
<laughs> maybe, maybe. Okay, and, and, and so in the healthcare space, did you invent a program? And, and is that something that's being used widely today? Uh, well, this was way back when um, in the 90s when uh, digital video was just coming on the scene. And so I had the idea of using that new technology to uh, move ultrasounds which were recorded on VHS tape uh, back, back in the day <laughs> and make that all digital. So uh, actually here at the Ottawa Hospital, they were the first digital echocardiography uh, lab in the world, which is pretty cool. And uh, yeah, so I was involved with that. Well, and Canada's known for coming up with groundbreaking innovations, and, and I think in the healthcare space as much as anywhere. Oh, yeah. like the, uh, Around Ottawa, there's, there's a lot going on. Ottawa's a great place for, for getting, uh, getting an idea off the ground because you have the technical uh, expertise, and there's a community of people who are uh, supportive of new entrepreneurs. So it's a pretty awesome place that way. When you came up with this idea, started the company, and then what? spun it off and did it again or what? Uh, well, that one um, got bought out. And so I moved on. another idea. This uh, this one uh, was to back up phone books on your cell phone. This is right at the beginning of the, the whole mobile thing. And that one was sort of fun because I got investment from a, uh, a French incubator that was owned by France Telecom. And they uh, they said, okay, we'll invest, but you got to move to um, Paris. And I was like, well, I have no problem with that. So we, uh, the wow. team uh, packed its bags a week after the paperwork was signed, and uh, yeah, we headed to Paris. Were you a single guy at the time? I was single at the time, yeah. And uh, Paris is a nice, nice place to be when you're single. I would imagine. Now, you would have spoken French sort of growing up as well in that Ottawa area? Yeah, I was like, I went to, to uh, uh, French immersion here in, in Ottawa, so uh I, I was able to uh, go there speaking the language, but definitely learned a lot from uh, from the culture. So at this point, you were a typical urbanite, I guess, is what we refer to it on the agricultural side. Is that a, is that a word that you think accurately describes your upbringing? Yeah, I would say that. I, I was lucky. My, my dad's a, uh, a math professor. He's recently retired, but he was always very hands-on, so doing his uh, his own renovations and so on. Uh, and so I, I did grow up with that hands-on desires. I was lucky enough to have built my own house, so I, I had no problems getting down and dirty if, if need be. Right, but haven't ever really milked a cow or... Oh, no, no, no. I, no, I have no, other than seeing it in a photo, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So was your entrance into the booze business, that came more from your entrepreneurial spirit and having done a couple of startups? Or I guess, how did you go from starting tech companies to getting into what would be the food and beverage space? Well, it, uh, I fell in love with the whole craft distilling. Uh, when I was down in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, I visited a craft distillery first time I ever did, and I just fell in love with the copper, the whole thing. It just really struck me. So I came back home and I uh, built a little still in my basement, played, made, made some little batches. I took a course in Chicago, but never really found anything which I thought was. Wait, wait, wait! Back up. You took a course on bootlegging in Chicago. Is that right? <laughs> That's true. It wasn't uh, on bootlegging, <laughs> but on distilling. Yes, it was a good place to take a uh, take a course. Uh, they have a, uh, a beautiful distillery there called Coval, and they offered uh, courses. It was really neat. People from all walks of life came to take uh, take a course. And if you look at who 
starts back to Philly, it's, it's a lot of people who are on second careers, like who have done something and decide want to do something totally new. So it's uh, it was really neat to see people from doctors to paramedics to lawyers to plumbers all thinking of getting uh, in the distilling business. So that, that really struck me as, uh, as a neat thing. Is the learning curve fairly steep, or is it the kind of thing where I can go buy a distilling kit that I see on Amazon and start making my own vodka at home? Well, to do it in, in small scale, you know, there are many kits online now that it's not legal to, uh, to run your own still at home, but there are a lot of home distillers in, in Canada, too, and, the, and you can get plans and or the supplies uh, for it. So, yes, you could make a batch at home, but there's, there's, uh, the learning curve, scale that is very difficult. And, of course, the learning curve for what we're doing, uh, yeah, it turned out to be <laughs> much steeper than, uh, than I thought. <laughs> okay. At what point did you go from, you know, this being a hobby you were doing in your basement at home to when you thought it, it might actually become a viable business startup? Well, I was uh, just uh, in the office chatting with uh, my, my cousin, and his uncle is a um, dairy farmer. He was telling Neil all the problems of excess skim milk at the time. This was three years ago. Right. Uh, about the time they were they were dumping uh, skim milk, and both Neil and I looked at each other and were like, well, can you make booze out of this stuff? And that's sort of where <laughs> the story started from. And so before, of course, jumping in, I started doing some research, discovered that uh, people have been fermenting uh milk for, for centuries. Uh, that was uh, Genghis Khan's uh, drink of choice was a fermented mare's milk. Right. What did they call that? Kumis. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. That was what they uh, what they called it. And uh, and then more recently, like in the 70s, New Zealand and Australia, they were uh, fermenting uh, whey by part of cheese to make alcohol for uh, fuel for cars. And so at one point, 10% of cars in New Zealand were running on, on cheese. And then uh, that sort of died down with the thing. And then more recently, our craft uh, distillers have been looking at uh, milk, and it's technically uh, difficult to do. So we, we're like, okay, well, let, let's see if uh, get some feedback on this. Sorry, I just I want to I want to go back and uh, just make sure everybody's clear on this. I mean, so yeah, because fermentation, you basically you need some kind of a, a sugar carbohydrate source in order to feed the the fermentation process. You can use sugar cane molasses, potatoes. I mean, there's all kinds of corn, obviously, is a is a big one. So it's the lactose in the milk, then, would be the product that you're starting with? Yeah, so um, traditionally, people have been using whey for f- fermentation. When I started this process, I, I spoke to the Canadian Dairy Commission, and they were like, well, we love your idea, but can't count on skim milk being dumped. That's what we, we were originally thinking of, of fermenting. <laughs> so you better go talk to find something else. So I just started a cold calling and uh, was connected with a woman uh, who does uh, business development at Pumrot. And she was like, oh, well, we've just come online with our ultra-filtered milk factory in uh, Winchester, and we have something called milk permeate. Mm -hmm. And that was really educated me on what that was and seemed like the perfect thing to ferment. So you're using permeate. What's the end product it turns into then after fermentation? So we uh, we take the uh, the permit and then we work with the University of Ottawa at this point because fermenting milk or lactose is technically complex. You can't take any standard standard yeast and and ferment that. Oh, so you had to figure this process out. Yes, exactly. It's it's oh. very difficult, very rare to find yeast. I do it. So they, the university helps us find yeast that will consume that lactose. 
that was a, a year-long process with the uh, with the university. But we were like connected with uh, a professor there, uh, Dr. Alexandre Poulain, who had uh, had a student who was available to do some research on this, Jasper uh, uh, <laughs> Godet, and she uh, dug into it. And over a year, she actually figured out how to how to ferment the permit. Wow. Okay. So once you have that process in place, is, does it become proprietary? Like, like, are you the only person that has that now knows how to turn permeate into alcohol? Well, we're the only ones that we found uh, that have done it, uh, and we're pretty sure we're abreast of what uh, what's being done out there. So we don't have a the, we we can't patent can't patent yeast, but we we definitely have a lot of uh, knowledge in how to deal with fermenting uh, permeate, and and that could be used for a lot of things. It's an unbelievable amount of energy is, is locked up in that permeate. It could be used for biofuels, like it's been done in the past. Um, I, I was speaking to a professor at Cornell University who's looking at using permeate to make beer. So what what needs application? <laughs> well, don't give it to the Americans. They don't have a problem with surplus at all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. So what kind of alcohol is this? So the first thing we're uh, targeting and the first thing we made, and it's going to be available uh, to purchase next week, is what we call a vodka. Vodka. So it's a clear alcohol, ship it at 40% alcohol, but in the production process, so after fermenting the, the permeate, we distill it to some gorgeous German-made copper stills that we have that will bring that, okay. uh, extract the alcohol out of the fermented permeate, purified to 95% alcohol. And then that is wow. diluted. With spring water to bring it to forty percent alcohol, and uh, that's the vodka product. Okay, so what makes something vodka compared to rum compared to whiskey? I guess. Uh, well, that's a good point. Like, so we called it vodka because it's sort of a play on words, but uh, there's actually a reason for that. Is we can't call it a vodka. Right. Uh, in Canada, a vodka has to be made from grain or potatoes. So uh, that restriction only exists in Canada, in the European Union and in the <laughs> United does, States. Yeah, right. They define vodka as a, a really a, a production process. So the point is, is that you have to distill it to near pure ethanol and then dilute it down with water to 40%. So we're actually working with a local um, MP to uh, to get that changed. And that, so uh, it also discriminates against great uh, Ontario distillers that make vodka out of grapes uh, and they yeah. can't call their product uh, a vodka either. Right. And that's just one of those silly rules that exists with, is it, is it a Canadian rule or an Ontario rule? Well, it's most likely a hundred years ago when they wrote it, no one ever thought of making <laughs> anything other than uh, good grain yeah. or potato. Right, right. Okay. So w- tell me about the process. So you bring whey permeate in, what does the distillery look like? Uh, well, we're bringing milk permeate, so uh, whey permeate is a different Sorry, but, yeah. thing. So we're, we're taking the, the the milk permeate. It literally comes in in one of those giant uh, milk uh, tankers. Comes in at uh, five to six degrees centigrade. Uh, we uh, pulls up next to our uh, our building. We uh, throw out our hose, connect, and uh, pump it into our fermenters. And then we have to bring it up to temperature. Yeast uh, like to be uh, warmer than five degrees, so we, we bring it yep. up in, in temperature. And then we pitch in our yeast. Uh, unlike small-scale brewer or distiller, we actually bring up our yeast from the individual cell right right up. Uh, so we have to go through all that. We get that ready, throw it into the fermenter. And then after three, four days, we now have lactose has been converted to alcohol. We've got about 6 7% alcohol in the fermenter. Then we pump that into the still. 
extract out the alcohol as quickly as possible in the first run, which is known as results are known as low wine, or in okay. the process is known as a stripping run, where you just strip out the alcohol quickly. And then we put it through a very tall 23-foot column to process that alcohol to near purity at 95%. So you have a couple of steps in the process. The distillation steps, yeah. Right. So it actually yeah. passes through our stills several times, and then it comes out near pure. We take that, we dilute it down with spring water, we then pass it through a carbon filter just to get any impurities that yep. remain out, and then we bottle it. So what's the conversion rate? So if, if I was saying how many liters of permeate to make a, a liter of vodka? It's about a 20 to 1. So 20 liters okay. of permeate to 1 liter of vodka. That's not as much as I would have thought. Like there takes 40 liters of sap to make 1 liter of maple syrup. So this is actually more efficient than that. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, but it's a good way of using up uh, permeate. Yeah, for sure. Our facility right now is just taking a, a small portion of the permit that's available, but as we scale, we hope to take a couple of those trucks off rather than dumping it, uh, the permit into the ground. I do want to talk a little bit more about that, but I want to get a sense of what this product is like. Compare this vodka to a, a traditional vodka. Like, what would I notice the difference? You know, it's customary when guests are on the Ontario AgCast to send me a sample of product so that I can try it and know what I'm talking about. I don't know if, if you knew that going in. Well, I wish I wish I had because uh, that would have answered your question uh, straight <laughs> off. Because yes, it, it is. Uh, so we, this that was the big mystery in this whole thing. Is like, are, is this going to taste good? Right. Uh, right. So yeah. That was a the huge gamble in this whole process. It's the, the university we had a, an inkling that it was in the right direction, but was this going to scale? Was it going to taste like? And uh, yeah, we we are extremely happy with the result. We've done several blind case testings where people have tried it. Uh, in unmarked glasses with comparing so the top vodkas out there and like 70, 80% of people rank our uh, vodka number number one. So it really is a, a totally different experience whereas with a standard vodka, you really sort of have that burn, nail polish remover feeling, but with uh, vodka, it is completely smooth with a caramelly finish. And yeah, people told us that they will sip it rather than mixing it. So I imagine that getting a new product like this, and that space must be pretty competitive. How did you get this into the market and what were your strategies to kind of get noticed and get this product launched? Well, uh, we're just at that beginning of that process as we're uh, available next week for people to uh, to try out. Uh, fortunately, right now, there's a, there's a whole a very big demand for locally made product uh, and uh, especially alcohol. So uh, all the facilities in Ontario are essentially just working hard to satisfy that demand. So we're definitely going to be using that thirst for something different to get our, our story out there. But the whole uh, connection with dairy, and this is not a made-up mm-hmm. marketing connection, it's a solid connection. We're taking this product at the milk permit that's currently being wasted. And not just being wasted, it's, uh, it, it's also an economic uh, problem. Yeah, not to overplay all these milk products that are being dumped, but I mean, in Ontario, in our supply management system, we are producing milk primarily for the milk fat, and then we utilize the other solids as best we can, but there tends to be a surplus of other solids. In that situation, particularly now that we're part of this new USMCA, uh, looks like we're going to need new avenues for more and more of those other solids that come from, from milk production. 
it's great that you're you're able to do that. Did you have to learn about the Canadian milk marketing system before you got into this? Or were you surprised by anything when you tried to buy milk products for manufacturing? Um, well, it, it, there was definitely learning there. Like, um, for example, one thing that struck me is going out to see Evan. Like, he has a very compelling story. Uh, he's a sort of brand on his own, but his milk sort of gets put into a truck and goes namelessly to some central processor. And that I found sort of interesting. That uh, And I see a lot of opportunity for these dairy farmers who have great stories to express themselves more. So that was an eye-opener uh, for me. And But in terms of getting supply of milk, uh, we were very fortunate to be connected with Pomrod, who uh, has been very supportive of our project and uh, helped us provide it permeate during the whole development process. So, so we've been very fortunate on that. But in what's our, what uh, our goal is, like right now, uh, one stat I often point to is the liquor industry is the third largest purchaser of Ontario grain. Mm-hmm. But right now, the liquor industry is not buying anything from dairy. So if our efforts are successful, that could be uh, a substantial new revenue stream for, uh, for dairy farmers. Uh, and not just us, if other people start working with lactose to make, make alcohol. So that, I know they, the, the whole NAFTA 2 has been difficult on Ontario dairy farmers or Canadian dairy farmers. So the more we can do to generate value-added products, it's definitely a benefit to, to all farmers. Okay, so I'm going to ask a question because I want your perspective as someone sort of sitting on the other side of the table from Canadian dairy farmers. You're using the product, and we keep hearing how processors and food manufacturers, that it's hurting their businesses because they have to be part of of the supply management system, how it's costing more. Would you rather be able to just buy from whoever's the cheapest or is being part of the supply management system, the fact that your business is here in Canada and you're buying product from the supply management system, do you think that hurts your business or do you see any benefits to that? Well, first off, there's definitely advantages of Canadian regulations around milk for our business. And in terms of getting this into a community, there's a, uh, I think supply management has created a very vibrant community of smaller dairy producers, which you, you don't have in the U.S. So I think from our perspective, having that community of smaller producers is a great way to get a new product known out there. Once the dairy farmers taste what we've produced with milk they're producing, I'm sure the word will get around. So it's sort of the idea of supporting family farms supports your artisan story then. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, well, uh, it's more than just a story. It actually does. (laughs) Right. I've taken marketing courses and so on. It's sort of like you want to craft something or create a a contract to support a, a marketing vision well, this we, the vision supports our marketing. Like it's real. It does feed back in. We can cr- uh, create demand in Ontario through and, and word of mouth is the way to do it. We have the 3,500 dairy farm families like our product and talk to their friends about it. Well, that that's great for us and great for everybody. It's a really neat concept. Where do you think that it can go? You had talked a bit about ethanol and like, is this the kind of thing that could ever compete with? ethanol that's produced from corn? For sure. There's far more energy sitting in that permit than, uh, than corn. So that's definitely a possibility. Right now, our fuels are sort of not in the same favor as they were, but yes, it, that could be a potential. But just on the alcohol side, it's not inconceivable. Give an example, uh, you know, Absolute Vodka, it's one of the top brands in the mm-hmm. world, but 
in the in the uh, late sixties, seventies, the government of Sweden decided, okay, we want to we're making a strategic investment to create a worldwide vodka brand, and they did they did that uh, by funding Absolute, and now just in, in Canada alone, Absolute sells six million bottles of vodka a year, six million. So it's it's huge. So if working with uh, the dairy community, we were to say, okay, we, we believe that milk-based raw cow is a better product, which we feel like we're getting. Well, if we, if we get even a small fraction of the size of an absolute, it would be a huge win for uh, for Ontario and uh, and dairy farmers. Yeah, for sure. And anytime we can come up with a a new use for our product, that's amazing. I'm interested if there's any social ramifications here, like using a product that comes from animals. Have you had any backlash or had any questions, say, from the vegetarian or vegan community about this? Oh, well, we're definitely not not in with the vegan community, I can tell you that. (laughs) Uh, So that, but, okay, well, that's fine. There's a lot of people who eat uh, dairy-based ice cream, and it's it's a big You can't satisfy everybody, right? So that's fine, and we don't pretend to want to. We don't have to satisfy uh, every consumer out there. There's a huge number of consumers who are very uh, pro-milk and pro-dairy. I count myself definitely among one of those, so I think it's awesome what you're doing. And Now, how long till I will find this available in my my local LCBO? For our uh, folks south of the border, the LCBO is the Liquor Control Board of Ontario, which is where most of our alcohol is purchased. (laughs) It's interesting you're talking about uh, listeners down south. We've had a huge number of emails from people in the states uh, who've heard about us. Uh, unfortunately, there's no, there's not a lot of free trade even within Canada. For people who've emailed us from uh, BC, uh, we to sell in every province. We have to apply for licensing in every province, so the alcohol is very restricted. But in Ontario, uh, next week will be on November first. People will be able to come into our distillery, which I hope they do, because we built a beautiful place in Almont for people to visit. And then uh, it will also be available for delivery anywhere within Ontario uh, from our website. Uh, and then uh, next year, we'll be uh, starting in local LCBO to test out the market. And if the, uh, if the response is what we expect, we'll be available uh, across the province uh, sometime next year, at the end of next year. Great. And then I understand that you also you have some other connections you can move these through some of the ottawa area nightclubs what's your connection to the oh shoot i'm gonna i'm gonna show my age i don't even know what the terminology is the the disco scene in ottawa i used to work a lot with uh the the music scene and that's a great way to uh (laughs) to get get uh uh, awareness for new products we have a great space in in elmont for hosting events so we hope we're planning a an annual uh, event that uh, will attract people to come to the distillery, learn about learn about what we're doing, and also come out to Almond. Yeah, but we have endless ideas with this, and the the key for us was that the product tasted great, and we hit that. So now uh, we just got to produce enough bottles that uh, whenever someone tastes it, tells a friend, we'll be able to be there with uh, with a bottle for them. Perfect. So if I can get you out to a, a dairy farm and I can teach you to milk a cow, maybe you can get me out to a nightclub and you can teach me how to DJ. Well, well that uh, that sounds like a fair trade. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, my uh, my son, uh, I don't know if you've seen that, on the new Nintendo console, the Switch, they have this game where you pretend to milk a cow. 
And uh, my my seven year old son is like, "Oh, you should give us a vodka." <laughs> The milk bus, so yeah, we've been looking at uh, if we were, I don't know if you've seen a picture of our bottle, we're using uh, the old school milk bottle. Yeah, great marketing. Yeah, the neck of a milk bottle is uh, much larger than a standard liquor bottle, so we have to get a, a custom um, pour for 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 right. bars. So uh, there are a whole bunch of ideas, around, some cow related ideas around that. So uh, yeah, lots lots of. You really let your imagination go with it. Very good. Well, me thanks for taking some time and and chatting. If people want more information, they would go to the website dairydistillery.com. That's right. Our Instagram, uh, Facebook. Uh, we've got a lot of beautiful pictures up on our Instagram, uh, Dairy Distillery, and and same with Facebook. Well, I am definitely going to check that out. I think it's a an amazing idea, and and I really. I'm glad that you took an interest in it and and that you got to know some dairy farmers. And thanks for chatting with me a bit today. Well, thank you so much. This has been the Ontario Agcast. The Ontario Agcast is produced by Christine Schoonerwood and is proud to be part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network. For all the best agricultural podcasts and agriculture video blogs, be sure to check out farmruralag.com. If this is the last podcast we ever do, it's been fun. If not, we'll see you next time.